Blog Talk Radio. Yeah. Mike, check. Mike, check. One, two, one, two, one, two, for you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Word up. That. Biblical, biblical, theology, theology, study, the person of God, attributes. God's word is like a breeze in the tropics, and Jesus got the keys to the cockpit. He's the king, the priest, and the prophet, so please watch as we proceed with the topic. Uh, yeah. And that's biblical theology, that phrase alone that gives some people allergies. Uh, they say it's not practical enough, uh-huh. just give me Jesus, that will be enough. That seems plausible and logical Nobody wants to be all cold and theological But being a theologian's not optional Cause when you talk about Christ You're saying something doctrinal Either it accurately portrays his majesty Or it's a travesty Or worse, blasphemy You can do a global search This mark is crucial to the health of a local church The Christian life is a difficult odyssey The faithful are a statistical anomaly The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically That's why we need that biblical theology Lord God, deliver us from apostasy The human heart is given to idolatry The situation is critical, we gotta see The importance of biblical theology What do I mean by biblical theology? The whole theme of the scripture and God's the key It's following the Bible storyline And the ultimate goal is seeing God's glory shine What he starts, he finishes with dedication A work of art, from Genesis to Revelation From God's creation To man's fall, to redemption, to consummation His designs and structure, each time will fluster What mind can instruct the divine conductor? His worthiness sits enthroned in the heavens sturdy and fixed Romans 11.36 Biblical theology encompasses Who God is, what he promises, and accomplishes So clever we behold his endeavors unfold The greatest story ever told The Christian life is a difficult odyssey The faithful are a statistical anomaly The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically That's why we need that biblical theology Lord God, deliver us from apostasy The human heart is given to idolatry The situation is critical, we gotta and welcome to another episode of Theology Matters with the Palouse. We are so excited um, to be here with you again for another week and to share some awesome information with you with our awesome guest today. Um, I think I'm having some technical issues. I'm sorry, everyone. But welcome again to Theology Matters with the Palouse. And we're so happy to be with you, like I said. And um, Devin is not on the air with me today. It's just myself, Melissa. Um, We felt with the nature of our topic today that it would be a good opportunity for myself to interview our guest, 101, being that we will be dealing with um, a topic, uh, the topic of women in apologetics. And we have a wonderful woman apologist um, with us today. Um, And you all are just going to learned so much from her. Um, before we start our show today, I just wanted to actually start today with prayer. Um, I'm just having a number of issues today, <laughs> physically and um, a lot of stress, and um, I just really want to start this time in prayer just to ask God to remove the distractions and um, to, to help this show um, move forward and, and to glorify Him. So I just join, join me for just a couple minutes in prayer. Um, dear Lord, thank you so much for 
this day, this opportunity. Lord, thank you so much for your son, most of all, God, who um, died in our place on the cross, Lord, and thank you for new life that we have now in him. Um, Lord, I just want to pray that you remove um, the distractions um, with my health and with all the stresses of the day, Lord, so that we can just talk about you and how awesome you are and how we can share you better with the lost and dying world, Lord. I pray that you bless our guest today, um, bless Devin, um, and as he's with my daughter. And we just, uh, again, Lord, pray for a time um, in which you will be glorified and that um, the saints will be equipped and that um, your glory will be, will be made manifest to, to others, Lord. It's in the name of, our, of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much for joining me in prayer um, just now. And um, for those who are unfamiliar with the show, this may be your first time listening, we welcome you to the show. And we've been doing this um, podcast for uh, probably about a year and a half or so now. And it it was just a great opportunity that was um, uh, bestowed upon us. And we have taken the opportunity to uh, come every week on the air and to share Um, or to bring other guests on with us to interview them on different areas in the area of apologetics and theology and biblical worldview issues as well. And it's just been a great um, way for us to learn. It's been a great way to um, share knowledgeable information with others. And the shows are all podcasted, so um, they're available on the web for anyone to go back and listen to any past shows. And so we've really had a lot of fun doing this show and are really thankful for the opportunity. And we don't take it lightly. And we've met some awesome apologists and some awesome theologians and some awesome pastors and evangelists. And um, we're just uh, we're blessed to, to be able to do this every week. And um, I wanted to um, go ahead and bring in our guest for today and uh, let you guys um, hear about her and her ministry and the things that God is doing in her, and uh, have her impart some wisdom and some knowledge to us today. Um, our guest is Sarah Ankerman, and Eric, uh, Sarah is the president and founder of the International Society of Women and Apologetics, um, known as ISWA, and we'll talk a lot more about that um, when she comes on. Um, Sarah is from Temecula, California, um, and she has degrees in apologetics philosophy and Christian leadership, doing a PhD in theology and apologetics at Liberty Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, she currently is a high school Bible teacher, and she's also adjunct professor at San Diego Christian College. And she is definitely one of my heroes of the faith and someone who I look up to. Um, so, Sarah, are you there with us? Yeah, I'm here. Great. Well, welcome to the show. And well, thank you for we're glad me. to have you. Yeah, it's so yeah. neat. <laughs> Because we've known each other for a while, um, <laughs> and we finally got to meet face to face last week. Yeah. For just a few hours um, at the airport, I picked Sarah up. She was on her way to Liberty to do some um, on on campus work um, there for a PhD. So we got to hang out and go have breakfast, and that during her layover here in Charlotte. And um, so yeah, it's always neat meeting people that you know and that you're close with, and uh, finally. Um, you know, meeting in the flesh and that. So we had some great conversation and discussion and um, really, really excited to have her on the air with us today. And um, Sarah, tell us um, about yourself. Um, you know, maybe how did, how did you come to Christ? What was that, what was your journey like? 
Um, well, I was raised in a Christian home. Uh, I went to church my whole life. Uh, my parents are really strong believers, and um, let's see, I, I made a public decision for Christ at a Harvest Crusade when I was seven years old, and um, got baptized at 10, and just kind of started getting really involved in church uh, in junior high, and um, just kind of went from there, so I've kind of been going ever since. Right. So, yeah, that's neat to hear how God preserved you through all those years of you know, teenage years and all those other years that, um, you know, typically a lot of, a lot of, uh, sadly, a lot of young people walk away from the faith, but he's kept you strong and, and uh, used you as a defender of the faith. Now, how did you get into apologetics, of all things? Um, well, let's see. Uh, I um, decided to go to Bible college, and um, mm-hmm. it just so happened that my um, professor was an apologist. And so okay. he kind of recognized um, that in me and um, just encouraged me to keep going. And I love the Bible. I love studying it. I love apologetics. Um, as you said, it's great when you grow up in the church, but you do definitely mm-hmm. go through some hard stuff, and you really need more mm-hmm. than um, it being your parents' faith or a spiritual thing. It, it really needs to be something that um, you kind of have looked into yourself and have accepted, um, you know, through your, your mind and, and your intelligence and have decided, okay, this is what I want to do. Um, and so I've gone through a lot of hard things since then, but, um, you know, God has been just so awesome. And um, I just love apologetics for that reason, that um, even when we're going through hard things, um, you know, we still have that evidence and that, that, that foundation to lean back on um, and mm-hmm. we can just still know it's true even though right now we may not be feeling um, so great about it. Uh, you know, we can right. still hang on. And, and so that's one of the things when I went through something really difficult um, as a college student, I um, God just really revealed to me that, you know, I am here. Here's the evidence for it. And um, mm-hmm. because of that, I've been able to stay strong through those years. And so I really want to equip other people with that foundation um, that they can have when they're going through something hard. They've got something concrete and objective to grab onto um, right. when they're going through stuff. Right. Yeah, I think um, definitely um, I, having a foundation and knowing why you believe what you believe um, definitely gives you that foundation whenever the trials and the temptations come, and mm-hmm. which we all face. So um, that's, that's a really neat story. Let's talk about that a little more, about apologetics and um, why it is so important and why it is so crucial to the church today. Um, it, it always has been, but it's very crucial today. And, and more specifically, why, why more so with women? Um, why is it important for women to get involved in apologetics? Well, I think it's important for everyone to be involved in apologetics. Um, the reason that I focus on women specifically is because no one else was up until a few years ago. Um, I really okay. feel like when um, apologetics first became a thing, um, it was really geared towards men, and it was geared towards, um, you know, pastors and theologians and um, okay. just kind of was just basically marketed to men because they just assumed women wouldn't be interested. Um, the church play hasn't been historically very interested in the minds of women, and okay. so that was a natural thing for them to not market to women immediately. Um but then what started happening is um, even if the men are equipped, um, you've got kids who are at home with mom, 
And, um, you know, I actually started out in youth ministry. I wanted to, to do youth ministry. Um, but I realized that by the time kids get to high school, it's already too late. So we need to start equipping them from when they're very young um, to know why they believe what they believe. And a lot of that responsibility falls on mom because she's the one who's home with them most of the time. Um, you know, she's the one helping them with their homework. Um, you know, dad's usually still at work at that point, and so even if he has the answers, um, he's not there to give it to them. And so you've got kids coming home with evolution homework. You've got kids coming home with, you know, even the new Common Core stuff. And, and if mom doesn't know how to answer those things, then, you know, the kids are going to go away without answers. And then what's going to happen is they're going to still search, and then they're going to get in college, and they're going to ask their atheist professor instead of their parents. And um, then they're going to get, obviously, the wrong answer. And so what we want to do is actually start um, – I love – I want to apologize. I can't remember who it is, but he says um, to inoculate your kids, meaning that um, instead of, um, you know, waiting until they already have the issues and then answering them, give them the answers before the issues even come up. And I think that's really effective. I mean, I teach apologetics at the high school level, and, you know, these seniors, I mean, they already know – I mean, I ask them questions, and they already have the answers, and um, that's just great because it shows that even at a younger age, um, you know, they can be equipped so that when they do go to college, um, they do have the answers. So, I, you know, I'm fully confident in my that they will be able to go to college and not be deceived because they've been equipped properly. Um, unfortunately, that's not the case with everybody. Um, and so I think that's why mom needs to get involved because, um, you know, like even though we live in a very modern world, mom's still the one at home with the kids most often. So um, I just think that, you know, it's really important that since mom is the one raising the kids that she also knows how to equip them properly. Right. So the the, the moms are, in, a, in a essence, the first line of defense um, against mm-hmm. these false ideas that are being um, right. Watch our children these days, and so you're you're absolutely right. It is important. Um, you know, I, I was looking recently at some of the the best selling books for Christian women um, on the top of the list, and, and none of these books. There's nothing wrong with any of these books. You know, the um, right. they're great great books. Um, but you know, the titles um, pretty. You know, uh, uh, just I'll just read some of them. You know, the remarkable women of faith. Um, how to pray for your children. Um, calm my anxious heart. Um, how to live with peace and security in yourself. Um, how to be a mm-hmm. strong, praying wife. Um, lies women believe. Again, these are not, um, uh, you know, anything heretical uh, per se. I, I don't know specifically about the books, but um, these are. This is what is typically marketed towards women um, confronting right. issues of their self worth, self worth, and their identity um, in terms of being a mother or a wife and these sort of things. But in terms of uh, uh, their faith and understanding their faith, um, we don't mm-hmm. see a lot of that marketed towards women. And we kind of see a male face attached to the deep thinking um, within Christendom. Mm-hmm. And so I appreciate what you're doing in terms of trying to change um, that persona that is out there. Um when you went to Bible college, um, were you, were people kind of shocked at that? Did they think that that was, um, you know, um, not normal or? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, uh, this was, you know, I started college 12 years ago. And mm-hmm. because of that, that was, 
you know, even apologetics was just really getting ground at that point. And so for the idea for a woman to go to school for theology or apologetics, I mean, that was basically unheard of. And um, I didn't even know that there were other women into it. And, I, you know, a lot of times where I struggled with that, like, why am I even doing this? I don't even think I can do this um, as right. a career or, you know, I'm going to school for something that, you know, I'm not going to be able to, to help provide for my family or you know, anything like I even take care of myself before I had a family. And, um, you know, people would ask, well, are you going to seminary? Are you going to be a nun? And, you know, what's the (laughs) point in that and everything? And, um, you know, but I was very, very blessed to have people come into my life and really um, mentor me and, and just, you know, um, basically, you know, support me and encourage me to keep the course because um, mm-hmm. now, it's, I mean, it's where I am today. I'm running, you know, women's apologetics ministry and I'm teaching apologetics full time and um, in high school and at college. And, and so it's really awesome because God was totally faithful. I took that step of faith, not knowing if it was going to lead to anything, um, just knowing right. that I had a call in my life to do it. And I took that step of faith and God has been I'm so faithful in what I've been given and the opportunities that he's provided for me. So, um, yeah, so it was, it was hard at first, you know, because like I said about a decade ago, there were no women apologists. Right. Um, And so now, I mean, we're, we're growing and and we have, I think at least 25 women on our speaking team alone. So um, there are definitely quite a few of us out there. um, So it's really cool to see how the, how it's grown for sure. About ISWA, the International Society for Women and apologetics and how you kind of got that started and off the ground. Um, how did that kind of happen? And tell, and tell us about the organization and what it's all about. And I'm um, blessed to be a part of ISWA, by the way, too. So. <laughs> yes, we're very, we're very blessed to have Melissa as part of our speaking team. Um, yeah, so how it started was uh, I was going to seminary and we were talking about um, how to encourage more females to enroll because there were only two of us <laughs> at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I approached my professor and I said, you know, maybe we should, um, you know, maybe have a conference with um, women speaking and maybe that will convince other women that, hey, this is something they can do and then they could go to the, go to the seminary. And he said, well, why don't you just start a group? And I was like, okay. And so um, Dr. Geisler was my teacher at the time, and I, and I went up to him and I said, you know, is there any, is there any reason I should be doing this? Is, is there any opportunities out there? Should I keep going with this? What do you think about this? And he basically said, yeah, here's this list of women that are doing it, and you should get in contact with them. And so he gave me this huge list of women that I was like, okay, great, awesome. And so I contacted all of them. And we kind of just started this group, and um, it's, now it's uh, this ministry. And we were originally going to start out just kind of being a, um, you know, academic society um, encouraging women mm-hmm. in the field. But really what ended up happening is we realized um, that it needed to become more of an outreach in the sense that we really mm-hmm. needed to not just keep what we were learning to ourselves, but really um, invest and pour into other women um, who need to equip their kids. And so uh, I women just started kind of coming out of the woodwork and contacting me. And um, I still get tons of emails every day um, from women who um, just want uh, more information on how they too can be an apologist or how they too can learn apologetics to equip their kids. And um, so anyways, we have been going for about five years now and March will be our fifth anniversary. Um, And uh, Um, basically what it is, is um, we have a website where uh, we have – different curriculum 
that women can download right now. We have a foundation series, and um, so it goes through all the basic um, foundations of apologetics, and so um, it goes through why apologetics, um, uh, truth, the existence of God, the case for miracles, the reliability of the Bible, and um, the case for Jesus. And uh, those are going to be basically what you would get taught in any um, college apologetics class. And um, But they're really small. They're about the size of a magazine. They're not some huge textbook. And um, so mm-hmm. Busy Mom can, can download them anywhere, anywhere in the world at any time of day. They're PDF. They're free. They're 100% downloadable. And what we want to encourage women to do is to just take them and run with it, start small groups in their areas, um, equipping other women to teach apologetics, and um, really just mm-hmm. kind of take the information um, as a springboard and use it to uh, equip their kids and also maybe just kind of and be able to answer basic questions about their faith um, for their friends and family members um, and also to their kids as well. And um, the greatest thing is, too, that we have a lot of women apologists who speak all over the country, and so we get videos mm-hmm. of them speaking, and so those are on the website as well. So we have different podcasts and different um, videos and lectures and um, talking about contemporary issues like Oprah or um, the Christ Smith, uh, Zeitgeist. Um, we've got a lot of mm-hmm. contemporary issues that are being addressed um, by our women, which is so great. I mean, you've got these things in pop culture, um, like the Da Vinci Code, for example, and um, Nancy Piercy, one of our members, she writes in one of her books that you can't just ignore culture because there are people being influenced by these things. What we really need to do is learn how to respond to them and engage the people who are being influenced by it. And so um, we do definitely strive to be contemporary in the sense that we'd like to answer what is going on in culture currently and how do we bring mm-hmm. that back to Christ. Um, and, uh, you know, so there's, there's definitely a lot of resources on our website um, that women can get involved in. And we do actually have membership. So um, women can be members of ISPA and um, eventually become trainers in their area, starting small groups, or even be part of our speaking team. Um, so it's, yeah, so it's really, really great. Yeah, I, I love the model of, of ISPA um, with the ISPA U curriculum. Um, so it's not just about a core team of women. Um, just, you know, basically being the face and the voice of the ministry and just doing the speaking events, but it's um, about equipping um, everyday women in our communities mm-hmm. and in our churches and that. And so I think that that, unfortunately, I think within the world of apologetics, we there is that disconnect um, at times with connecting the, the information with people um, mm-hmm. where they are and encouraging them because it's, it is. It's overwhelming. You know, if you just kind of jump into it, and you, there's so mm-hmm. much to know. <laughs> and I mean, we're yeah. we're all, and that's why we're all reading and studying constantly every day. You know, there's always mm-hmm. new issues. There's always a different objection um, to to kind of uh, uh, take apart. So it can be overwhelming for people, and I think that we do forget that. And especially for mm-hmm. moms, um, you know, becoming a mom recently. Um, I didn't realize how frazzled you are constantly because <laughs> you are responsible for another person um, mm-hmm. all the time. And so that, with, along with the daily, um, you know, things that we have to do, um, you know, it, it, it is easy to kind of put our intellect and our, um, our, our learning to the side um, for the sake of our families. But it's like you say, it's, it's, it's going to benefit our families. It's going to benefit us. It's going to give us a foundation mm-hmm. um, to be that rock mm-hmm. in our families um, and that our, our children mm-hmm. can, can see our faith um, lived out. Um, so I, I really enjoy or I love the fact of, of uh, the whole model for ministry that 
that you've created through ISLA. And I'll put the link up um, in our chat room once uh, my technical issues clear, clear up. <laughs> um, and um, also on our Facebook page, um, I will put the link up to the ISLA page. Um, and then and all the materials on um, the curriculum are online to download, right, Sarah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so on, there's different tabs on the website. And so if you want to download the textbooks, they're under the ISPU tab, and then if you want to download any of the articles, there's a tab for articles and video lectures and audio lectures. It's, it's pretty. It's a pretty user-friendly website, so um, everything's just kind of there at the top, um, and people can just go on any 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 area. And, and my encouragement to women is because, like you were saying, we're busy. Like I'm, I'm, I can barely ever think because I'm just I've got so much going through my mind at once. And you're a mom things. too. Yeah. <laughs> right, and I've got so many things going on that. Um, really, I just want to encourage women just take a bite at a time. It doesn't have to be, you know, where you take one whole book or one whole issue and just conquer it in one day. Like, just read a little bit, you know, every day or once a week when you get a chance, and and just really just work on bite-sized chunks. It's, you know, small chunks are better than nothing at all. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's 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 good to just you know take your time and and really you know just kind of get familiar with the material even just maybe skimming mm-hmm. it to start out with and and not really um, even diving in necessarily right away but maybe even watching like a documentary or um, you know just different things that we can do just to have a little bit more um, of an equipping uh, and being ready yeah. for that moment and um, so yeah so I just I encourage women just you know a little bit at a time. And so we've tried to make it so that, that the materials on the ISLA website are a little bit at a time. You know, nothing's very, super comprehensive um, because, wow. you know, we're not trying to sell textbooks here. We're, <laughs> we're just trying mm-hmm. to equip mm-hmm. people who have very small amounts of time here and there. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah, you do. As a mom, you have to kind of sneak in your study time and your quiet time, which is rare. But, um, but we do. We do have to make it a priority. Um, to learn mm-hmm. and to study and to to use our minds, um, absolutely. You know, I was thinking another advantage for women in, in terms of learning apologetics is this fellowship with our husbands because, you know, men are, are more, you know, analytical um, typically. Mm-hmm. And um, so I know with Seven and myself, um, when we're reading uh, different mater- apologetic material, it gives us a really good um, opportunity to fellowship and to bounce ideas off of one another as we're Mm -hmm. reading and studying um, certain material, and it it deepens the relationship even, you know, on on an intellectual Mm -hmm. level. So that's Mm -hmm. um, definitely, I think, a a great benefit in in marriage as well for both um, to be studying, you know, and standing their minds. So absolutely. Um, Well, Sarah, let's um, let's just talk about some different apologetic topics. Um, I know we... uh, we're going to kind of talk about a number of different things or whatever we had time to discuss. Um, one of the things that uh, um, I'm, I've been pretty much interested in and I have come across lately is opportunities to witness to Muslims. Um, mm-hmm. And with women particularly, um, I've found that Muslim women are not um, going to be very conversational with men, and that may not be the case all across the board. But with mm-hmm. women, um, there is an opportunity there for us to know um, how right. to answer their questions. And so mm-hmm. that's another really good reason to be equipped because of these opportunities that we have right here, um, this mission field, um, with the number mm-hmm. of, of Muslim women in the country who will primarily dialogue with, with other women. And it's a, a way to build relationships. Um, so let's right. talk a little bit about, about Islam and 
how we as women can minister to women who are in Islam. Um, what, what would you say will be the best strategy for witnessing to, to a Muslim? Um, well, I would say definitely friendship. Um, I'm very big believer in friendship evangelism. Um, there are some people who are ready right when you meet them to make a decision. That's most of the time not the case. And so I'm a big mm-hmm. believer in um, really just getting a relationship going. I'm, a, I'm also a big believer that in listening. Um, you know, we just because we know what somebody's worldview is doesn't mean we know exactly what they believe. And so sometimes right. we just need to ask them, hey, what do you think about this? Or, hey, um, you know, uh, Greg Kogel's ministry is big on tactics, asking questions just mm-hmm. always finding out exactly what they believe so that you are equipped to answer it. And um, I was just actually talking about this in my small group with my girls at the high school. I was, we were talking about Esther, and we are talking about how God raised up Esther for a time such as that because only a woman would have been able to approach the king in the way that she did to spare the Jews. <laughs> and it just, true. In the same, <laughs> you know, just in the same case, um, you know, only women can really – influence or speak to um, Muslim women a lot of the time. So, um, mm-hmm. because like you said, they, they usually don't interact with men, um, you know, in of other, you know, that's not their husband or whatever. So it's really important that we get equipped, that we can talk to them um, about these things because um, we might be their only option. Um, mm-hmm. And so even being friends with, uh, you know, Muslim women that are the parents of our kids at school or, um, you know, our neighbors or just wherever you have the opportunity, just becoming their friend and making it clear that even if they never convert, you'll still be their friend. I think that's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, and then knowing some basics about Islam is, is really big. And um, especially things like, um, you know, just uh, facts about the Quran, facts about Muhammad, and, and really actually knowing um, what the Quran says and not just what you've gotten secondhand from somebody. Um, just, I mean, I've read the Quran myself, and I being able mm-hmm. to say that is huge because most Muslims don't read the Quran. I mean, there are some that do, but um, I think the number is like 90% um, of Muslims don't mm-hmm. read the Quran. So if you've read it, and they're more willing to actually give you their time and respect to be able to dialogue with them about it. Um, and in mm-hmm. that way, when they tell you, like, this is what I think, you'll actually have, you know, something to dialogue with them about. And um, it really just comes down to um, one of the most effective techniques, I think, is uh, just showing how Jesus is portrayed in the Quran. And um, even, you know, he's even shown to be somewhat greater than Muhammad. And a lot of Muslims have come to Christ by reading about him in the Quran. And um, so even just maybe talking about how Jesus is portrayed as opposed to Muhammad in the Quran, um, there's a lot of different things, that, lots of different ways that you can, um, you know, always bring it back to um, the gospel. And um, actually a new book just came out um, called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus by Nabil Qureshi, who is a former Muslim who came to Christ. And he has a great story. And so even maybe sharing that or giving that book to one of your Muslim friends, once you've established a relationship where you know that they trust you, um, Mm -hmm. you you can give them that book and you can say, you know, here's this, this story of this you know, Muslim that came to Christ and, um, you know, maybe you'd be interested in reading it. And so just having those kinds of the ready, um, you know, I think that's, or even just knowing about those resources, a lot of times what happens is, um, you know, we may come to a situation where we don't even know where to go for the resources. And even just becoming familiar with, you know, knowing who does, you know, you don't always have to have all the answers, but knowing who does have the answers and having that 
that knowledge um, will get you so much further than than not having any. And just a cursory, very cursory uh, skimming study of apologetics on the Internet will give you some of that information. So um, I think, yeah, just just being equipped in any way possible, um, no matter what worldview or religion somebody is, um, just having resources to hand them is is big too. Absolutely. You know, and you you mentioned about Esther and, um, God raising her up for such a time. I, I actually think that there is an advantage um, in terms of women in apologetics, just for these reasons, um, with dialoguing with other, uh, or dialoguing with Muslim women, or dialoguing with anyone with an atheist, because we, we tend to be um, better. We tend to be good listeners. Um, mm-hmm. We tend to be compassionate, and so it does help um, in terms of uh, trying to minister to someone and trying to dialogue about some of these very difficult um, and, and hotly debated topics to have a cool mm-hmm. head <laughs> and to um, be conversational and a good listener and to be compassionate. Um, and it's so funny because Devin even told me we, when we're in dialogue with people, he's like, I really like to have you there because, um, you know, you miss things that I don't hear. You know, I'm busy, ready to, you know – I'm answering this objection, and that's not even what they're talking about. They're talking about something totally different, and then you have mm-hmm. the ability to kind of bring it back to what the focus is because you're listening better than I am. <laughs> so, um, you know, these kind of, these kind of things, um, I think, uh, really uh, is, is makes us an asset um, in the world of apologetics, um, mm-hmm. the ability to, to conversate well and listen well and, and to build those, those relationships. Like you said, um, being relational and not – just, okay, you've got a question, I've got an answer, you know, black and white, mm-hmm. let's move on, you know, but being very relational mm-hmm. in, in that process. Um, so great, yeah, so th- those are some really good things that you brought up um, in terms of uh, ministering to uh, Muslims and um, opportunities that we may get, um, and we obviously pray for those opportunities. Um, let's look at, um, I, I know that you've been studying lately um, the argument from desire, and um, I, I know that uh, many are are not familiar with that, and and I'm interested to hear too about your studies in that area and and kind of what um, you've uh, been digging up. Um, yeah, so the argument from desire is basically um, the idea that mankind was created in the image of God, and when um, the fall happened, even though uh, it affected our sin, you know, our sin nature, and, and now we have that fallen nature about us. And we still have that um, print or trace of um, the image of God in us. And now, um, because God is himself as a trinity of being in communion, um, man was also created to be in communion or relationship with the divine. And um, so that that part of us that is mirroring um, God, uh, you know, even though we were separated from him by the fall, we still desire that. And um, you can see that very clearly, um, you know, throughout the years. You've got Augustine that wrote about it. You've got Pascal that wrote about it. You've got C.S. Lewis that did a lot of work in this area. Um, just this idea that we have this God-shaped hole or this desire um, that, that needs satisfaction. And, um, you know, C.S. Lewis says, if I can't find anything in this world that can satisfy that desire, that it means that I was made for another world. So, um, you know, basically um, Dr. Geisler gives this uh, – this theory about fulfillability is that if, if you have a desire, its fulfillment must exist. Otherwise you wouldn't know to desire it in the first place. And so, mm-hmm. um, 
what the what the argument basically is is it's for the existence of God that if you have this desire for relationship with the divine, which is basically the human history of religion and um, you know all these mm-hmm. things that we've tried to use to to fill that hole and um, power and money and you know different things, um, that's just evidence that we do have some type of desire that that cannot be filled and therefore um, you know there must be a fulfillment which means that God probably exists. And, um, you know, you, you read constantly when you ask people, like, how much money is enough? And they say there, it's never, there's never enough money. You know, people get to the point where they can be so rich and it's still not enough. And, um, and that just kind of shows you that, you know, there's all these things that we try to fill that hole with. Um, but even the people who um, have the things to fill that hole with still feel unfulfilled. And, um, you know, you've got the atheist Albert Camus who said, you know, life seems absurd if there's no God. You know, absurd that we would have these desires and there'd be no fulfillment. And so, mm. you know, he spent his whole life searching um, for the fulfillment to that. And, and, you know, I don't exactly know what happened on his deathbed or, you know, if, if he ever came to that conclusion. But I know even atheists, admit that this is an issue and um and you know usually it's like that's how we get the idea of all these religions popping up and all these world views is we're looking for something that's going to satisfy us and um you know god being the satisfaction um if we don't choose okay. him then you know basically everything else is just poor substitutes and um you know and and so um for example like recently this is the area that i'm kind of working in is, is, you know, recent pop culture phenomenons like, you know, superhero movies and, and legend and, and things like, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings and Chronicles of Narnia and, uh, you know, Harry Potter and all these different stories that have these mythical elements. We're looking for something more than the natural. We're looking for something supernatural. Um, you know, things like Twilight, for example, you know, you've got these, these girls and these kids that are reading these vampire novels and the stories are always the same. It's, you know, I felt like I was created to be immortal. I felt like I was supposed to be um, live forever. And it's like, well, yeah, because you were created in the image of God who's eternal and you are supposed to be immortal, but because sin and death entered the world, we're not anymore. But that desire to be immortal still stays. And the thing is, is that you've got these teenagers who are realizing that they are made for something more than this life. And what's happening is the, since the Scopes trial in 1925, you have, they've only been getting naturalism and materialism as an alternative. And that's not satisfying. Teens know that they're made for something more. And, and you know, giving them evolution and saying this is all there is and then you die they're like, no way. I've got way too much personality for that. This is, you know, this isn't the end. Like, there has to be something more. But instead of finding Jesus, um, they're finding things like, you know, vampire books and, um, you know, obsessions mm-hmm. with uh, superheroes and, and Doctor Who. And you've got all these things that are, you know, they like fandoms and all these crazy. I mean, you just go on Pinterest and people are just going crazy in these fandoms over, you know, things that seem to be superhuman abilities. And mm-hmm. they're obsessed with them. And so it just shows you that, that teens are not stupid. They realize that materialism is not a satisfying worldview, and they're looking for something to satisfy it. And, um, you know, so that's where I think it's, it's an area of apologetics where we need to kind of step in and say, I recognize that you are searching for something, and let mm-hmm. me introduce you to the fulfillment. Um, let me introduce right. you to satisfaction. And, and you know, the hero myth that, that is um, in Star Wars and Harry Potter and, and all these different you know, stories are based around the hero myth. And the hero myth is basically, you know, the story of a seemingly ordinary person who went through um, – 
obstacles and trials and, and had friends and foes and, um, you know, went through a black moment. And then they, they, you know, they usually, they end up dying and sacrificing themselves for their friends. And, and then they end up having a resurrection moment at the end. And I mean, what is the film is based on? It's based on Jesus Christ. And so when you've got these kids that are obsessed with these stories based around the hero myth, it's really just they're looking for a savior. And that's, again, why mm-hmm. superhero movies are so popular, because we're looking for somebody that is going to fight the fight with us. We don't want to feel like we're alone. We don't want to feel, you know, we recognize there's evil in the world. The problem of evil is recognized by everybody, even if they're atheists. And so you've got a, you right. people recognizing, hey, there's evil in the world. Now, how do we fight it you know am I alone in fighting this evil if I feel like this moral call to fight evil even as a non-Christian you know am I in this alone and so we're looking for somebody to fight on our side against evil and um, you know and, and, and of course you know we look at superheroes but really what we're looking for is Jesus and we need apologists and adults smart enough to come into kids lives and say here's what you're really looking for and um, you know and maybe use that as a bridge to evangelize to them. You know, basically what we need to do is we need to use what is popular in culture and, um, and recognize it for what it is and then, you know, use it and reclaim it and bring it back and say, here's why this is important and here's how it relates to Jesus. Um, you know, and yeah. so I think that it's, I think it's an area of apologetics, an area of an argument for God's existence that really a lot of work hasn't been done in. Um, but it's a really an effective way to reach the current culture that we live in. So, um, right. yeah, so I'm, I'm super passionate about it. And, and I think that especially being a teacher of teenagers um, is big for me because I see the kind of things that they're into. And uh, it just makes me, you know, really want to reach out to them and encourage them to, you know, keep searching for the truth because the satisfaction is there. Um, Absolutely. So. Yeah, I, I think you are because it's um, this isn't something that we, it's something that we've experienced. We've all experienced um, is that longing for God, and um, it's something that we see in the world. So it's a, a, a very definitely something that needs to be worked out. And I know that C.S. Lewis um, did a lot of work in that area, and and he's a big hero of yours and, and mine as well. Um, so I know that you've been uh, reading quite a bit on him, and um, and that's one of your passions um, that. Uh, people may not know that you really are um, active in is within uh, the area of pro-life um, issues. And mm-hmm. I know that you've been writing quite a bit on that as well. So let's talk mm-hmm. about um, some pro-life apologetics even. Um, I know this isn't an argument for God's existence per se, but um, <laughs> definitely an area that that is women that we need to, to understand and know um, as we're dealing with women who are in crisis pregnancies and these sort of things they're more than likely going to come to us as women first as opposed to a man mm-hmm. to, do, to talk mm-hmm. about abortion. And the, the pro-choice um, crowd has successfully um, marketed abortion as a women's only issue, so something that men mm-hmm. um, should be silent about, which we know is, that's um, illogical because it doesn't, it's something, something's right or wrong regardless of, of um, who's uh, Observing that the tree, or observing the act, but um, mm-hmm. let's talk about pro-life apologetics just a bit. Um, what what are uh, what? How would you answer um, the common uh, slogan that she "It's my body, so I can pretty much do what I want to do. It's my choice. It's my body, my choice." 
Um, I would say, well, like I've been pregnant, so not only can I, well, I have, you know, a good answer for that, but first thing I'd say is, look, I'm a woman, I've been pregnant, I know what it's like to have a a child inside of me, and it it feels completely foreign, it's not your body, and um, it almost feels like, you know, like that that scene in in Alien, where it's like you've got this thing inside of you, (laughs) and um, it feels totally foreign. It doesn't feel like it's part of your body. I mean, it feels somewhat right, right because it's the way it's supposed to be. But, um, you know, you you kind of recognize that it's, it's a whole different entity, even just from experience mm-hmm. being having been pregnant. Um, and right. the other thing, too, is, is that besides my own personal experience, um, logically it's really not your body because when you think about it, um, as soon as that egg is fertilized, you've got two completely different sets of DNA, um, 23 chromosomes, which are not of yours. And so when a woman says, it's my body, well, actually it's not because half of its DNA is from somebody else. Um, and therefore, you know, once you get the 46 chromosomes, like its own completely separate entity. Um, and mm-hmm. so because it has its own DNA, it ceases to be part of your body. Um, it is now its own functioning entity. Um, and so, you know, uh, there's this different, you know, there's different Bible verses too that talk about it that, that you know, Psalm 139, like you're, uh, what is it, uh, it talks about the mother's womb just being a hedge of protection um, and that it, it already has, God already has its life planned out for it, um, mm-hmm. you know, for him or her. And so it's obvious that that plan is not talking about the mother. It's talking about that specific baby has a purpose and a plan that God has already, you know, laid out. He did it with the, with the prophet Jeremiah too. Um, he says, I have ordained you as a prophet to the nations. He wasn't talking about his mother. He was talking about him. And he's talking about wow. Jeremiah specifically as a baby. And so it's, I mean, they are a completely separate um, entity. And, and the way that logically that works is that there's this law called the law of identity. And the law of identity, it says that basically you're only the same if you have exactly the same attributes. And like I said, because that baby has a different set of DNA than you, you're not the same, which means that it's not your body, which means that um, you really don't have the right to say um, what should happen with that baby because it's not your choice. That, that They have their mm-hmm. own personality and their own personhood. Um, and so logically it just doesn't hold up that, you know, that it's their body. It's, 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 a, you know, it's just a illogical statement to say that. Right. So it's... They're they're making a statement um, um, that actually is self defeating in a sense because they're or they, um, excuse me I'm sorry I'm just my allergies are just killing me today Lord help us to get to this show but um, they're just making a, a, a loaded statement um, because they haven't proven that the child is part of her body obviously mm-hmm. um, another question if they uh, about the personhood of the child um, right you hear this it's not a, it's not a person. So mm-hmm. how how do we answer that? Um, well, I, the law of identity actually affects that one too because those um, who appeal to abortion actually usually don't hold to something called mind-body dualism. And um, so to them, the body is just physical or material and therefore no immaterial soul. Um, so basically if... Uh, they believe the you know the mind or and the soul and the body are the same, meaning they're all physical or just physical reactions. Then yeah, then you wouldn't have personhood because there's no soul. Um, however, 
you know, it we have been proven um, to have souls as human beings because, um, you know, J.P. Moreland does this whole thing where he explains that uh, your mind and your brain do different things. And there are things about your brain that don't apply to your mind and vice versa. So they're not the same thing. So you've got things like, for example, memories. Memories are part of your mind, but they're not part of your brain. Your brain can trigger memories, but it can't create them. Okay, your mind, um, you know, is, is basically all the immaterial stuff. So there are immaterial things that happen in your mind that um, have nothing to do with the physical part of your brain. And because of that, um, you know, that shows that we do have something immaterial about us. And that is a good case for the fact that we have a soul, that there are immaterial things going on in us that aren't caused just by physical um, synapses firing or um, different things like that. And so um, if we have a soul, then that means that we have personhood because the soul and the spirit are the parts of us that commune with God. And um, the soul basically gives us, um, you know, our, our personality. I, I, I think that, you know, when, when people are pro-choice, very rarely are they um, a believer in dualism, meaning that uh, I very I haven't really met very many Christians who are um, pro-choice for that reason, because otherwise they, they'd have to deny the soul if they're denying personhood. Um, and most of the time Christians won't go that far. Um, but yeah, so so if you know, if there are things that are true of our mind that aren't true of our brain, then it's, the case follows that the soul exists. And if the soul exists, then every person has personhood um, from the moment of conception. Um, because at what point do you decide, okay, now it's a person, when it makes that, you know, seven inch or whatever that length is between right. the womb and being outside, it's like, okay, it's a person now, but before it's not. Um, you right. know, and the thing is, is that, I mean, I can tell you, like, I had a C-section when I had my son, and it's like, what, between the five seconds that he was in me and the five seconds that he's out, what, now he's a baby? It's like, no, he was a baby before um, that, too. And so I think that the idea that just because it's inside of you, um, it makes it not a person. I just don't think that holds up, um, you know, in common sense, and, and it just it really doesn't work because it's like, what... You know, like Scott Klusendorf says, size, location, um, environment, and degree of dependency don't determine personhood. Um, you know, just because, uh, you know, it's, it's he, over here instead of over there, that doesn't change, um, you know, right. someone being a person. Um, you know, right. the environment that you're in does not change if you're a person or not. You could be in one room or in another room. That doesn't make you not a person. Mm-hmm. Um, so really where you are, um, doesn't, you know, physically doesn't determine personhood at all. Right. So when they make that claim, they're not uh, acknowledging the intrinsic value of, of the life itself, um, only focusing on the location, which um, doesn't work. So absolutely. Um, I hear that those uh, type of arguments quite a bit ministering out at the abortion clinic here in Charlotte. So it's great to have the tools and resources to be able to um, to come back and to offer the truth um, to these women and um, those who are contemplating abortion in this issue. Um, so. Right, and, and yeah, I think one of the issues too is that a lot of times, you know, women get lied to and young girls get lied to when they go to abortion clinics. You know, they get mm-hmm. told, oh, it's just a clump of tissues, oh, it's just, um, it's not a baby. 
And the thing is that my mom, you know, when she was 15, she went to an abortion clinic and she was unmarried and, you know, they told her, oh, it's just a bunch of tissues. It's just, you know, it's not a real baby. And the thing is that, first of all, they lie to you. They tell you it's just a clump of tissues, which isn't true. Second of all, they tell you that you'll have no side effects from it. And physical or emotional and what ends up happening usually is that you end up having both and so my mom um, you know thought she couldn't have kids after you know she has so much scarring from her abortion luckily God miraculously healed her and she was able to have you know more kids obviously which is how I exist but um, you know and then the other thing too is that you know my mom is almost she's gonna be 60 this year and she's still still regrets and still grieves over that child that she aborted 45 years ago. And Mm. so it's not something that ever goes away. And I think that's one thing that we really need to bring awareness to is the emotional um, side effects and the emotional damage that it does to women. I mean, even just recently what there was a um, Australian, uh, I think actress or model or somebody that, um, that she had an abortion and then now she ended up committing suicide because of depression that was linked to the fact that she had an abortion. And, you know, they try to make it like, oh, it's no big deal. It's just like a quick medical procedure. But really the side effects last for a really, really long time. And um, nobody seems to be willing to tell the women that. And, I mean, imagine if you had to go through, I mean, you have to go through these crazy counseling sessions just to have, you know, certain types of surgeries. You have to have consult with all mm-hmm. these random doctors and, and things like that just to have a surgery on something. And now you've got, you've got girls going in and having, um, you know, a baby removed from their body, um, you know, kind of a major surgery, and they're, they don't have to consult with anybody. They don't have to have any type of counseling. They don't have to have any type of um, consult with any, you know, specialist or anything like that. I mean, really, we treat minor surgeries with more care than we do abortions. And, I mean, I just think that's ridiculous. If, if, if we're looking at it as, oh, if, you know, if, if the medical community, non-Christian, is looking at it like a medical procedure, which is what they claim, then they should really be treating it as, as they would like a surgery. Um, you should have to go through certain types of counseling and, and consult with specialists and things like that before you even attest to because the side effects should last a long time. Um, and there are dangerous side effects. And so um, it just seems very inconsistent for them to be all about women's health when really they're, they're completely detrimental and they're actually doing more damage to women um, by not educating them than they are, you know, by hiding the truth from them. So, um, you know, they tend to be all about women's health, but really, really they're not, they're not about, you know, pro-women or, or, you know, the women's cause or they're really just, there's an agenda there and, Unfortunately, Absolutely. we have to try to expose it. <laughs> Absolutely, there's agenda. Um, you know, we're being told that abortion is beneficial for women and that they need abortion to be equal with men, and but yet we see that um, the physical uh, risks and the psychological risks remain there. But yet, we claim to be pro woman by pushing this procedure uh, in our society. So it's definitely a an oxymoron there. Um, Sarah, I was going to ask you um, before we uh, end the episode about atheism. And um, I think maybe for – I know some women that I've talked with, um, when you talk about apologetics, yes, there are some hostile atheists out there. As the new atheist movement um, grows, um, there's some very hostile, condescending atheists, and um, it's hard at times to dialogue with them, women, uh, because we – we don't like to, quote, unquote, argue 
even though right. I don't think arguing is a bad thing. <laughs> um, we we kind of shy away from those discussions because we don't want to be confrontational in any way. Right. So how how do we deal with that as women um, when we are dealing with uh, atheists or those from other worldviews? Right. Well, I think the biggest thing about atheism that, that seemingly is illogical to me is that why are they hostile if they don't believe God exists? Like, for example, like, um, Robbie Zacharias says, you can't get angry at the tooth fairy because if you don't believe the tooth fairy exists, then why are you spending your time being angry um, about it? And so um, I think a lot of times what happens, I mean, you're talking to someone who avoids confrontation at all costs because I'm an introvert and I I do not enjoy it at all. So that's actually a part of apologetics that's difficult for me um, as a person. And um, when I come across hostile people, um, usually – Having been in ministry almost my entire life, I recognize that a lot of times it's not an intellectual issue. A lot of times it's a heart issue. And so what I encourage my students um, to do is if you come across someone who's hostile and who is um, confrontational, let's say, then maybe you should really start praying for that person um, instead of trying to argue with them. Because you can argue with somebody until you're blue in the face. But if they are not ready to come to Christ, they're not going to come to Christ. And so what I, tell, what I tell my students is make sure that you're equipped to the point where you can recognize whether it's a heart issue or a head issue. If it's a head issue, great, then you can get equipped. And if it's really just an intellectual thing and there are no emotions tampering them, then it'll be very easy for them to come to Christ because we have such good evidence. But the thing is, if it's a moral issue or if it's, a, if it's an emotional thing where they've been hurt by God or they've been hurt maybe by somebody in a church, then we need to recognize that we can argue with them for days and it's not going to make a difference. What we really need to do mm-hmm. is just love them and just be Christ to them and pray for them and wait for the Holy Spirit to open them up to being ready to hear the truth. And um, mm-hmm. so, you know, I would just say that it's really illogical for atheists to be hostile if there's no moral or uh, emotional issue going on. Uh, You know, most of the time that if they are hostile or confrontational, there's a whole other level of something going on besides just intellect. And I think actually as women, because we are so compassionate and empathetic, I think it's really uh, a great way for women to be in apologetics because we can maybe minister to them in a way that men might just who, you know, run away from emotion, <laughs> might not be mm-hmm. able to, you know, minister to them. And I think I'm just having, a, you know, a soft heart and just being able to see that someone's hurting, um, you know, and just being there for them as, you know, even if you um, kind of take on that mothering role or, you know, something like that. I think that women are actually much more quick to be able to deal with the emotional issues than men are um, in apologetics. And so a lot of the time, Um, It's great if you can be there emotionally um, for somebody until they're ready. And then when they are ready, it'd be even better if you had also the intellect and the equipping to really give them the truth once the Holy Spirit opens the door. Um, So it's it's really important that we are ready, uh, whole person, you know, holistically, heart, mind, and soul, um, being able to equip people, which I think that's something that women are very, very good at. Um, and so mm-hmm. if, if, you know, that's something that they could look at is, you know, I'm not going to be scared of these people. I'm just going to look at them as um, I'm going to love them and I'm going mm-hmm. to be um, God's, uh, God's hands and feet and just be God's 
um, you know, right-hand woman here and just and just really minister to this person. Um, you know, I think that would be a really great way of women looking at apologetics, almost like I'm going in to serve people, I'm going in to love them into the mm-hmm. kingdom, and then once they're ready, I'll give them the truth. So, um, you know, if I, I don't know, I think that would be a good way for women to kind of think about it in a different way instead of worrying about the confrontation part. Think about it more as, you know, going in with the idea of loving someone. Absolutely. You're, you're absolutely right because it is, at, at the end of the day, it, it is about a, a person. It's about um, about the person's need for, for Christ. So at the end of our of our debating and our dialogue, it, it's ultimately about that. And um, we need to keep that focus as we're ministering um, to them and giving them the truth. And, again, I think that this is a great opportunity for women to, to use um, the design that God has given us in terms of our empathy and as a passion um, to, to mm-hmm. jump in and to, to give people these answers and to also love them simultaneously. So that's um, a, a, mm-hmm. great, a great way to encourage uh, fellow women to get involved. And um, ISWA, let's, um, ISWA, the website, um, let's see, I'm going to post the website so that people can go check that out. Um, uh-huh. And what, what's going to be, do you, what's your vision going forward with, with ISWA? Um, any plans for anything? Or? <laughs> um, my vision yeah. for ISWA is really just to keep pouring resources into the website, just keep gathering things that our women are doing, um, and just keep filling up the website with things. Um, you know, my goal is to, to keep, you know, we have to run somehow, but my goal is to try to keep the resources as free as possible, um, just because okay. we do have women in, in poor parts of India and China um, that maybe have access to Internet but can't afford to buy a book um, or a video. And so uh, my goal is to try to keep everything completely accessible so that women everywhere have access to the things that they need um, to spread the gospel. Um, So really just filling up the website with resources um, and then also uh, basically starting – I'm thinking about looking into maybe starting state directors for uh, each state, having a different uh, woman in charge of a different state, um, similar to the Ratio Christie's model, um, so that we can mm-hmm. start having um, women, you know, having small groups in different areas and women just encouraging other women to get equipped and, um, you know, using the SBU curriculum in order to start small groups all over the nation. That would be, that would be amazing if that could happen. Um, so that's kind of my goal moving forward is we really built this foundation. We built a lot of relationships. A lot of people are coming to us now. Um, a lot of people trust us, and they know that we're, our goal is really just to spread the gospel. And so um, now that we've kind of built that foundation going forward, I think it's, it, now it's time to kind of spread out and really, really start equipping women across the country to really start changing the culture for Christ. So that's right. definitely what our, our goal is. Right. And there are some amazing women in that group. Um, Mary Jo Sharp, Nancy Searcy, who um, – Sarah mentioned earlier, Holly Ordway, Julie Miller, Melissa Payne Travis, um, Leticia Wong, who I do Pro Life Fridays with. So, so many awesome women um, uh, who are doing some awesome things around the country and around the world in the area of apologetics. So, this is really encouraging. Uh, make sure you go and visit womeninapologetics.com to find more about ISLA and about ISLA U. And if you're interested, also, if you're a woman out there who's doing apologetics and you feel like you're alone and you feel like you're on an island and you need some support, mm. uh, make sure mm-hmm. that, you, that you reach out and go to the website and, and get in yes. touch with Sarah and, um, and join us in this, in this great work so um, that we can advance God's kingdom. 
And Sarah, I'm so glad that you took the time to be here with me today. Like I said, I know you're busy being a, a single mom and working and working on a PhD and teaching and all these sort of things that, that you're doing right now. Um, so it meant a lot that you uh, took the time to come on with me today. And um, yeah. I look forward to having you back. And uh, and we need to, you know, like I was telling you, we need to get all the ISPA ladies together. We need to have a big yes, we do. <laughs> do something. So we'll, we'll be praying for the Lord to open the door for that to happen, for yes. us all to get together and just encourage each other. So I pray that someone was encouraged today who listened. And, again, go to Women in Apologetics to check out the website. And um, you have been listening to another edition of Theology Matters with the Palouse. Um, Devin will be back next week. And um, we are praying that you have a wonderful week, that you got a lot out of the show today. And uh, please join us again every Thursday right here on this uh, blog talk station. Have a wonderful evening, everyone.